With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. G'day, g'day. Welcome along this Tuesday. Essingen afternoons. Julian King of the chair for Jimmy Smith today. James back on deck tomorrow after his little foray on the breakfast program. Great to have your company wherever you're tuned in. Essingen 1170am in Sydney. Essingen Q693 in Brisbane. Essingen 1620 on the Gold Coast and via the Essingen app. We are here thanks to our great mates, SBS Fence. Dot com dot au. I'd love to hear from you over the course of the next three hours. The open line number one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Free call, and the text line oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Going to have some fun on the show today. Joining me on the program, Jaleesa Apps from the Seven Network will be along to chat rugby league and cricket. Daniel Garb will catch up with Garby shortly. Had an hour with Garby in studio last week. We're going to talk all things Premier League and, of course, the Ballon d'Or. And uh, plenty of ant discussion too, I'm sure. And Michael Butner, your little Butner, is going to be along to talk about this North Sydney Bears bid, or by name anyway. What are they going to attach themselves to? Some kind of Pacific bid or PNG bid when it comes to rugby league expansion. Now to rugby. It's been the talk of the town the past couple of days. CEO Phil War, Rugby Australia CEO Phil War, is going to address the media 2pm today, Australian Eastern Daylight Time. We will bring that to you. That'll be in and around, no doubt, Eddie Jones's resignation and the appointment of a new coach. And just on that, they did release a statement, Rugby Australia. It reads, Rugby Australia can confirm that it has accepted the resignation of Wallabies head coach, Eddie Jones, and he will depart the position 25th of November, 2023. Can somebody explain why it's the 25th of November? No doubt there's a reason. I just don't know what it is. But, I mean, what's he doing for the next three and a half weeks, Eddie Jones, do you think? Is he still the Wallabies coach? Officially, yes. So what does he do in the next three and a half weeks? I don't know. Rugby Australia thanks Eddie for his commitment to the Wallabies in 2023 and wishes him the best in his future endeavours. Announcements regarding the future of the Wallabies coaching staff will be made in due course. So all the usual stuff, blah, blah, blah. Interesting tweet from Tom Decent today. He said, a lot of scrutiny on Hamish McLennan. However, new Rugby Australia CEO Phil War was a board member when Jones was signed. War was in the room when Rennie was sacked. He signed off on the appointment, as did the rest of the board. He's up for media today. So I wonder if Tom is going to be there. I'm sure he will. And ask or maybe put those questions to Phil War. So as I said, 2 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, 1 o'clock in Queensland, we will bring that Rugby Australia uh, press conference to you. We'll hear from their Chief Executive Officer, Phil War. Just regarding the coaches, by the way, Laurie Fisher, the bearded one, reckons that the former Brumbies coach, Dan McKellar, should be a leading candidate to become the next Wallabies coach filling that Eddie Jones vacancy. He's leading Leicester at the moment, one of the main contenders. Others, you know, Stephen Larkham, former Brumbies coach Andy Fred, maybe Michael Checker comes back. We've shown that we're not averse to appointing ex-Wallabies coaches. McKellar was an assistant to Dave Rennie for three years, was looking like he was going to be the heir apparent, but then Rennie sacking saw him leave as well. He'd a part of the Wallabies program to take up a three-year deal in the English Premiership. Ian Payton with his story in the Herald. But Jones' departure has opened the door for a McKellar return. 
The problem there is uh, the return's far from straightforward. Normally, club coaches have clauses in their contracts which would allow them to pursue an opportunity at test level. And he has made it known that he wants to be the Wallabies coach one day. But if he is appointed, it would happen just one year into a three-year deal at Leicester. So then Rugby Australia would have to negotiate with the club about McKellar exiting early. More money potentially being paid out. And we saw the same thing too. They lost their previous guy, Steve Borthwick, when he took over at England. So there you go. Who will be the next coach? Tell you what, it hasn't done. It hasn't spooked Joey Suali'i. His move to rugby will not be impacted by the departure of Eddie Jones, as Brent Reid writes. He sets his sights on leaving rugby league with a bang. Uh, he does remain committed to taking up that three-year deal with Rugby Australia. Begins in 2025 for Joey Suali'i, believed to be worth in excess of $5 million. And he couldn't stay here. Look, the Roosters wouldn't be able to keep him. They are hamstrung by the salary cap. So if he wanted to stay beyond 2025, I'm not sure they could afford to, to sign him. 0457 736 736. I talked about the North Sydney Bears. Look, I love the North Sydney Bears. Love the North Sydney Bears. It's how I got into rugby league, moved from Darwin to Sydney. My grandfather and uncle used to take me to Bear Park when they were getting beaten rather comprehensively. But to see them desperate to return to the top flight in some capacity, you know what it's like? It's like that ageing actor Mickey Rooney just wanting an acting gig. So, look, we're looking for a kid in a serial commercial. Puts his hand up. Yeah, I'll do that. I can do that. Because any mention of expansion inevitably sees the Bears pinning their name to its coattails. So the Foundation Club, as we know, as we've been reporting and as you've been hearing, poised to lodge a formal proposal with the NRL after a couple of years of groundwork and analysis to reveal how and why they should be considered for NRL expansion. The Telegraph reports a submission incorporates the entire Pacific region, including New Zealand, not just PNG. And Bears directors, they're reviewing the plan that'll be set to the NRL within the next fortnight. We know that this PNG push has gathered a lot of momentum with the backing of the Australian government. Well, Bears officials, they're ready to take a stride forward towards NRL inclusion by outlining their proposal. And that will, that will incorporate games being played in Australia and around Pacific nations. How's it going to work? So the Bears want to secure the Tonga, Samoa, Cook Islands, Fiji and parts of New Zealand in their bid. Now, the chairman, Daniel Dixon, he spoke to Matthew White this morning, said the game must consider the Pacific region when viewing expansion, given the quality of matches in the current Pacific championships. Here's a bit of what Daniel Dixon had to say this morning on the Matthew White morning program. We're obviously very much for collaboration because we know the game's told us that, you know, we would have to take it away from North Sydney specifically, mm-hmm. um, and hence why we're, we're looking at those locations. Uh, obviously, PNG have, have been in the media a lot. I think the government's backing them enormously for uh, the game's expansion. And we feel that, you know, we, I think the greater Pacific is an area where we'd like to be, not just necessarily one country. Uh, that's obviously not in our control. Um, but we, we're obviously ready to bolt onto that franchise and work with them on, on wherever the game decides to have that. Bolt onto that franchise. Summarised it in a nutshell. Oh, I just, I can't see it. So a PNG side, OK, based in Port Moresby, cannot possibly be reconciled with a Sydney base, despite the commercial upside that Dixon says it would represent. I mean, it's a four-hour flight away. You're just, what you're looking at are two disparate bases. And it just, the whole thing, and as I said, I love the Bears, but it just reeks of desperation. And even a diverse Pacific team incorporating Fiji and Cook Islands and all the others, 
would require its own cultural identity, surely, unshackled from the North Sydney Bears. And notionally, a Pacific team are outside of Australia. I could, I could entertain the possibility of an Australian base side, such as Perth, marrying up with the Bears foundations. And I cite the example of the AFL. Of course, Brisbane, as you know, not an Aussie rule stronghold, but I think the marriage between them and Fitzroy looks to be pretty harmonious. But if you're looking at these projects of sporting diplomacy, any Pacific base needs to own that side. Be built from the ground up. You know, not paying for some kind of tokenistic tribute to North Sydney. Because North Sydney is a geographical, geographical point with which a PNG bid or a Pacific bid has zero connection. You may have a thought on that today, 0457 736 736. To the cricket, Afghanistan flying. Defeated Sri Lanka by seven wickets in Pune last night. Recorded their third win of the World Cup. Maintained their hopes of a semi-final place. They were set 242 to win. They bowled pretty well. And they got it with seven in the shed. So now they've got six points and sit in fifth place on the table. Two behind New Zealand and Australia. As you know, the top four guaranteed to make the semis. But victory also means that Afghanistan, who beat England, as you know, have won back-to-back matches at the World Cup for the first time after they defeated Pakistan by eight wickets last time out. Because prior to this edition, they've managed just the one win. Now they've beaten England, Pakistan and Sri Lanka, all of them previous World Cup winners. So I said it before, I said it again, can we stop now saying that every win by Afghanistan is an upset? They are not all so rans. They are a top-rate side, bowling-heavy side, Majib and Nabi and, and Rashid Khan. Uh, Nathan Lyon, by the way, had a bit to say on this network, opened up about his mental health battles after the calf injury sustained during the Ashes. Here's a bit of what Nathan had to say. I was in a very dark place when, when the Ashes were still on. Uh, the last three games, sitting at home, um, I found it very hard. It was a tough, proper mental challenge. I probably wasn't the nicest person to be around, um, so my wife probably struggled a little bit. I feel like we missed a big opportunity, and that's probably what uh, made my uh, mental darkness probably even darker. And to be honest with you, it's probably driven my hunger for the game even more. Um, and watching the AFL Grand Final, watching the League Grand Final, and watching in the, the success of Collingwood and, and um, Penrith Panthers, it's, I know it's driven it even more. And as I said, it's made me even more hungry and it's probably extended it, to be honest with you. Um, I've always said I wanted to win in India and England. Haven't been able to do that. So it looks like we've got to go again. But there's Nathan Lyon. So that's the thing. I mean, often having a break, injury enforced or not, from any game can revitalise you, motivate you. And now he's weighing up an offer to play county cricket for Lancashire. He's setting his sights. So he's 35 now. Think about the 2027 Ashes campaign. He's got to be just shy of 40. But he has got his body right. He's going to progress talks with the Lancs. He thinks it's a perfect opportunity for he and the likes of Scott Boland to refine their skills in English conditions. Sets his sight on playing the 2027 Ashes campaign. Well, look, if Jimmy Anderson can do it at age 80, there's no reason... No reason Nathan Lyon can't do it. Now, to the Ballon d'Or, Sam Kerr, Matilda Superstar, crowned the second, second best women's player. Second comes right after first, Coach K. On the planet after finishing second in the Ballon d'Or, the women's, version or feminine, as they say. She finished third behind Alexia Patelis in 2021 and 2022. Again played second fiddle to a Spanish player, this time Barcelona's Aitana Bonmarti. 
at a glittering ceremony in the French capital. She's outstanding player, Bon Marty. So she won a fourth straight Women's Super League title with Chelsea, Sam Kerr, lifted a third consecutive FA Cup in a season which saw her help and Batilda to a World Cup semi-final despite injury crawling the early stages of her campaign. Outstanding achievement. And Lionel Messi, meanwhile, won the men's award for a record-extending eighth time after finally fulfilling his life's ambition by leading his country to a World Cup title in Qatar last year. So that was the one bit of silverware that eluded him. And we know that in World Cup years, World Cup performances have heavy weighting when it comes to Ballon d'Or voting. Now, I did mention, I'll catch up with Daniel Garb after the break, who's actually Australia's media representative. So I'll talk to him off the bat about the Ballon d'Or prize winners. 0457 736 736, text line number. Oh, by the way, Messi won ahead of Man City forward Erling Haaland, who, of course, didn't go to the World Cup, and his former PSG teammate, Kylian Mbappe. So he previously won Messi in 09, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2015, 2019, and 2021. What a remarkable footballer. Now, I did mention Matty White had, well, 2A and Tommy, more to the point, had stolen... My talk topic for today, a Halloween-themed one, about scary moments. And I had, you know, Tom at the top of his mark, for example, tackling Derek Henry. But how about this? And I floated it with Matty. Tell me today on the program, 0457 736 736, what sporting moment gives you nightmares? The sporting moment that gives you nightmares. You think about it, go, oh, no, I just, I'll see that replay again and I just, I shudder. For me, I, I was there live, 1999. Dragons, Melbourne, Storm, 14-0. The Dragons led at halftime. Of course, the infamous Jamie Ainsco penalty try. Gives me nightmares. Hearing Martin Tyler say, Aguero! That gives me nightmares. And a few other things. 05, Edgebaston. Gives me nightmares. So there's a good talk topic. What sporting moment gives you nightmares? Just broke your heart. Halloween-themed talk topic today, 0457 736 736. The open line number, 1300 01170. Free call. Roland and Mick will uh, have to hang on to your calls because I've got to get to Garby and a few other things, but I haven't forgotten about you. $100, $100 cash to give away in the program today, thanks to Tristan Merlihan and Top Sport. And we've got a special NBA quiz coming up later on this hour. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Up and running this Tuesday afternoon, Julian King on the chair for Jimmy Smith. Your home of sport. SEN.